Welcome to Healthy by Choice, a broadcast designed to bring powerful healing into your life today. Gaining and maintaining optimum health is possible at any age. That's what thousands are learning at CHIP, the complete health improvement program offered across the country and around the world. You can learn more at chiphealth.com. But now, get ready to enjoy some proven results and priceless benefits. I'm your Healthy by Choice host, Charles Mills. What's going on? No time in history have we as individuals known more about health than we do today. Scientists can peer deeply into the human body, clear down to the atomic level to discover how we live and how we die. But in spite of all this knowledge and ability, we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Why? Let's talk with Dr. Hans Diehl, founder of the Complete Health Improvement Program, about what we're missing when it comes to our health. Dr. Diehl, let's begin with science. What, in your opinion, was the most important medical discovery of the last century? You know, I'm very, very lucky (laughs) that you asked that question because uh, one of my distinguished, I mean, very eminent, distinguished uh, colleagues and Mm -hmm. friends Mm -hmm. Dr. Dennis Burkett, he was the great medical missionary that spent some 20 years in Africa. And as a surgeon coming from England, he said he couldn't find the Western disease that he was trained to treat in Africa. Hmm. And he said, I couldn't uh, find the hernias. I couldn't find the certain cancers. I couldn't find heart disease. I couldn't find diabetes. I couldn't find all the disease I was supposed to take care of. And I had to really re think everything. And I said, well, how did you keep your surgical knife from going rusty? (laughs) Well, he said, I just would go to the Western European wing Mm. of the hospitals Mm, there. And there I had the Europeans and there I had all the disease that I wanted to see and more than I wanted to see. And so he said, you know, I was very, very fortunate to have these different perspectives. And when I was asked in 1992 in Philadelphia, when they honored me with the, it's a special price, I guess they call it the Distinguished Bauer Science Award, sort of a, almost like sort of an American Nobel Prize, mm-hmm. when they had a two-day seminar to honor me there, and they asked me that very question. They said, what do you think was the most important medical discovery of this century. That was the 20th century, right? Mm -hmm. And he thought for a while, and then he said, well, I think the most important medical discovery of this century, that is the last century, was the discovery that our chronic diseases, our common Western diseases, are largely lifestyle-related. And everybody gasped. Yes, yes, yes. Because, you know, everybody expected, he would say, well, it's the bypass surgeries, it is the transplants that we can do now, it's the MRIs, it's a special breakthrough with some medications. And they looked at this man and he said, the most important medical discovery of this century, he said, was a discovery that most of our Western killer diseases, our chronic diseases, are lifestyle related. They relate to how we eat, how we drink, how we sleep. You know, how we live influences largely how and when we die. Hmm. 
And you know, that was almost a prophetic announcement in a sense, because since 1992, since that time, yes. we begin to realize now there's more and more data coming in that that is indeed the case, because we can make the connection between how we eat and how we develop certain diseases. We can make these connections now very handily. We don't even wonder too much about it. We say, yeah, yeah, we know this. You know, if you smoke, you get lung cancer. If you're overweight, you have to worry about diabetes. Uh, if you eat a lot of meat, uh, you have a larger likelihood that you develop uh, uh, diabetes, for instance. And if you have a lot of uh, calcium-rich products, well, then you have to worry a little bit about, as a man at least, about prostate cancer. We now know these kind of things. Mm -hmm. But in those days, big time. You know, Dr. Deal, you will have to admit that what he said was based on observation. He did not really have the science behind it. We now have the science behind it. What do you say to people, and I get this all the time, well, Charles, you, you say this is true, you say this, uh, what, this science is backing it up, but I know a smoker who lived to be 105, and I know a vegan who died at 29. <laughs> how do you respond to that? What do you say from a, as a scientist? How do you approach people who say those things to us? Yeah, they tell me that too. Don't you know George Burns? Yes. Remember yeah. the man with yeah. the big cigar? Big cigar lived yeah. to be 100 plus, the yeah. comedian, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> the answer actually is pretty simple, and that is, you know, yeah, you have these survivors. You have these people that do everything wrong, it seems, you know, as, yeah. as we identify doing wrong. Yeah. Anything, everything that is health erosive, yes. and yet they live to be 100 years. Yes. Yes. But folks, it's only the survivors mm -hmm. that can tell that story. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. You know, th there are uh, 95 people that have died exactly because of this relationship, and there's one that lives longer, and we point to that person, I see. <laughs> no, it's just that one survivor can tell the story. The other 95, they're already all gone. They cannot say anything anymore. They cannot say, hey, be careful. Yes, they're gone, yes, yes, right? Yes. So, I mean, that is one aspect. And don't you, as a scientist, when you come up with a study, don't you go to the top and the bottom end and sort of lop those parts off? You're saying, well, this is the exception to the rule. This is not connected to everything else. Don't you, as a scientist, reject the top end and the bottom end of most of these experiments? Yeah, that, that's right. They're like bookends yes, on the right yes. and on the left. Yes. The very low, the very high. They're somewhat what we call outliers. They're mm -hmm. somewhat outside of the normal distribution. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, like you said, you kind of lop them off. Yeah. That's right. So there's always someone that beats all the odds, right? Yeah. There's always that one person, you know, that, uh, you know, let's say you said uh, he was a he was really, really uh, anti-smoking person. <laughs> he actually wrote some of the laws yes. for a country. Yes. And that person then dies of lung cancer. Yeah. Well, it wasn't related to smoking, actually, but it was something else. But it was lung cancer. And people, you see? Yeah. And then yeah. you easily yeah. make, you see, there, I can do whatever I want to do. It doesn't make any difference. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. wait a minute. You know, that's just one person. That's the odd case right? That's the outlier. It doesn't confirm what we have seen the other 99% do. So it's almost like we have to become dirty hairy and sort of say, well, do you feel lucky, punk? Do you? You have to ask yourself, if you want to do these things to your life, if you want to smoke, if you want to eat the foods that are not healthy for you, do you feel lucky? Do you think you can make it? Or are you part, with the rest of us, of the vast majority of people who are going to suffer greatly from these things, probably die early and live a very miserable life do you feel lucky that's a question we have to ask sometimes if you want to argue this way it's true okay 
It's very true. Now, we have to look at the general distribution of relationships. You know, if uh, smoking is um, found in 85% of the people who die from from lung cancer, mm-hmm. you say, well, there must be some relationship. Yes. There's, an, there's an association there. Yes. And the stronger that association becomes, uh, and the more we begin to find some mechanism to explain this, how this possibly can work, the stronger then we can feel comfortable that there is more than just happenstance association. There's actually cause and effect relationship. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. So, you know, for instance, when you overeat, if you have too many calories, if you don't exercise and you accumulate weight, you cannot say, well, it must be my thyroid, it must be my glands, it must be uh, my my grandparents used to have that. Well, you know, all these things can enter into it, but ultimately you have to tease it out and say, well, what is really going on here? Mm. And then you begin to realize, hey, yeah, the grandfather was overweight, the grandmother was overweight, the mother is overweight, the father is overweight, and the kids are overweight, and say, oh, so this is a genetic thing, there's nothing I can do about it. And then you say, well, wait a minute, do you happen to have a dog in your house? Yes. <laughs> but, and is, is a dog overweight too? Well, <laughs> that cannot really be genetics. Uh, it seems that you, you share a common lifestyle, you share a common eating pattern, yes, right? Yes, yes. The environment uh, <laughs> is similar. And so this is how you begin to tease things out. So the, the most important discovery... You know, in the last century, yes. uh, indeed, as Dr. Burkett uh, prophetically suggested, yeah. is the idea that uh, we have discovered that most of our chronic diseases are related to our lifestyle, to our mode of living. You know, that was a argument that I looked at carefully, and the question was raised in my own mind, and I found the answer, but I want you to share the answer with our listeners. The question was, maybe the people in Africa have a low-stress life. Maybe it is all in the genes. Maybe those people in Africa, when they're in Africa, they can live this way, and they can live a long time, and they can have clear arteries because of who they are and where they are, not what they eat. What would you say would be response to that argument, Dr. Deal? So you're saying it's a stress. Well, here's a very good consideration. And that is, in the 1970s, that was the very argument that we used why executives had more heart attacks. Mm, mm -hmm. 1970, we recognized that it was the people with a lot of responsibility, people that may have had responsibility, but they may have not had authority to do something with it. So there was a certain stress there. And the whole uh, harriedness of uh, of life, uh, the pressure in, in corporations of making it to be the leader. All of these things conspired, it seems, uh, into a form of stress that then apparently expressed itself in more cancer, in more diabetes, and more heart disease in particular. Well, we actually developed a theory of a uh, type A personality. Mm-hmm, yes. You know, these are the pressure-driven individuals. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1995, at the turn of the century, we looked again at the distribution of heart disease, and what do you think we found? We found that the lowest rates of heart disease was found in the executives, the leaders, the administrators, and so on. And the most heart disease we now found in the good common people, you know, the blue-collared people, the people that are the salt of the earth, right? That's where we found the heart disease. We said, oh, wait a minute. 
what happened to the stress of the executives? Yes. They no longer have stress. I mean, it's more stressful today than ever before, right? Yes. yes. Right? I mean, the, the pressure that is on these people. And yet they have the apparently much better outcomes when it comes to heart disease. They have much less disease. And then we begin to realize, aha, the executives of today, they no longer have the two martinis at lunch. Mm. They no longer forget to get into the gym. They have simpler diets. They know that it's time to spend some time uh, in getting the proper hours of rest. They take many vacations. These people have adjusted their lifestyle because they know it's education. Yes. Well, those people that are on the other end of the spectrum, you know, the good common people, mm -hmm. they still want to have the good life that the executives had in the 1970s and 80s. Mm. We want this. Mm. We want that steak. We want to have that 16-ounce steak. We want to have the Oreos, uh, you know, not just one. I mean, a package every day. Yes. We want to have the six-pack. Mm. You know, we deserve it. Yeah. Well, the way you choose to live apparently influences the diseases that mm. develop and even the, the timing you know, uh, how long people live. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense, or what are your thoughts about this? Because, you know, then along comes T. Colin Campbell, who says, you know, if you take a well, healthy China person away from the country and the simple diet, put him in the city, he becomes diseased. You take a diseased person, a China person in the city, and take him and put him out in the country and change his diet, he becomes well. So it tells me that it is not level of stress. It is not really the location. It's really, as our friend Dr. McDougall says over and over, over again, it's the food, and that's what's driving it all, and that's what's driving our chronic dilemma today. Am I on the right track, Dr. Deal? We had the big example with the Japanese uh, in the yes, 1950s, yes. you know. Yeah. It was difficult after the war uh, to find the heart disease in the Japanese people. I think I mentioned that uh, on our program before, that the uh, University of Tokyo Medical School had to import, they had to purchase coronary arteries mm, mm, mm. so they couldn't show their medical students in Japan what killed then every second, every third American adult here. Yeah, yeah. So it was very, very rare. But in the 1970s and 80s, heart disease was evolving in Japan. Mm. And so then they said, well, it's very interesting. And they began to do these migrant studies. Mm. They said, well, in the early days, they said, maybe the Japanese are protected because they have the right race, they have the right genetics. And so they did this big migrant study where they followed Japanese brothers. Some stayed at home in Japan and others moved to Los Angeles and San Francisco and to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And uh, as these people now developed the uh, lifestyle habits of their new host country, mm -hmm. the question was, will they develop the diseases or are they protected? Are they immune to the disease because they have the right genes? I'm sitting on the edge of my chair. What happened next, Dr. Deal? Well, when, when they followed the, uh, this is uh, 15, 20 years later, when they followed the brothers who um, moved to uh, Hawaii, yes. they had adopted to a diet that was much, much richer in, in calories. Uh, as a matter of fact, they went from 10% fat in Japan to 25% in Hawaii, and they had uh, four times more heart attacks. And then they compared the brothers who stayed back home on a very simple diet, largely probably a plant-based diet. Yeah. Uh, and then they followed them to Los Angeles and San Francisco, and here's what they found. They found that they had 10 times as many heart attacks in those groups. And here, these were the same people, I mean, in terms of genetic makeup. They were all brothers. Yeah. They were in the same family. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? So these are the migrant studies. And they've done over 200 of these kind of migrant studies. Whenever you go from a high-risk category to a low-risk category, the diseases diminish. Yes. Similarly, when you go from a low-risk category country to a high-risk category country, they increase. So the environment has a lot to do with it. And when we talk about environment, we talk about how people relate to the culture. Uh, it's not just the diet, but it's the main factor probably. But it's also how do they adjust uh, socially to the culture? Right. Do they feel support there and so on? You know, these are very, very important things. So I think we are on pretty safe ground to not explain these different disease rates on the basis of Oh, it just happens to be that way. It's mm -hmm. just an anecdotal type of thing. No, uh, the science of epidemiology has helped us to understand this. Epidemiology is the study of epidemics that ask the question, why do you have this kind of a frequency of disease in this country but not in this? Mm -hmm. And what is different in these two countries or in these two populations? And then we begin to see, does it make sense? And then we come up with these ideas that one drives the other or at least influences it. Well, we are talking today about the chronic dilemma, the chronic diseases we have in this country. And guess what? It is spreading around the world. We're going to take a short break right now. When we come back, Dr. Deal, you were recently in New York. And uh, you were telling me before the program began of an interesting conversation you had with some people from a country that a lot of us may have to grab a map to find out where it is, but that country is very reflective of a lot of countries in this world. We'll find out what Dr. Deal said and heard in New York on our return, so stay right where you are. I'd like to take a moment to invite you to the CHIP website, chiphealth.com. It's a confusing world out there. Lots of information comes at you from so many different directions. How can you tell fact from fiction when it comes to health? Well, at CHIP, we don't deal with wishful thinking. We're not pushing pills or potions. We advocate gaining and maintaining optimum health through lifestyle changes. Changes in what you eat, how you exercise, even how you think and reason. Does it work? Over 50,000 graduates say yes. They've seen their blood pressure normalize, cholesterol numbers drop, diabetes ease, and in some cases vanish altogether, and excess pounds melt away. CHIP is a program that works because it's based on the science of health, science that's proven and amazingly effective. Stop by chiphealth.com to learn more. Changes come when you make health a habit. That's chiphealth.com. Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Charles Mills. We're here with Dr. Hans Deal. He is the founder of the Complete Health Improvement Program. And we're talking about chronic illnesses today, where they come from, why they exist. And Dr. Deal, you were in New York recently, and you shared with me a conversation you had with some people that came and found you with an interesting request. What was that request, Dr. Deal? Tell us about that. Well, this was a very uh, important health conference. It was entitled The Real Truth About Health. Mm. And it was trying to peel away the layers of advertising and misinformation and so on. So these were some pretty heavy hitters there from the scientific community to uh, delineate some very important issues that reflected on certain diseases and so on. And there uh, was uh, a group of people that came to me after I made my presentation, and they said, you know, we're from Lithuania. 
Lithuania. Uh, I thought okay. to myself, Lithuania. I, oh, yeah, that's way out there, right? Uh, that used to be part of Russia, I thought to myself. And then the man said, you're from Germany, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. He said, do you remember before World War One that was part of East Prussia? There was a city called Memel. And so, I, I yeah, I remember that. Uh, I remember that the city of Maimon. He said, we are from that city. It has a different name now. Um, it's one of the largest cities in Lithuania up there at the Baltic Sea. And uh, we, since our liberation from the Soviet Union in 1991, we have just uh, exploded. Uh, we have shaken off the manacles of suppression. And we are now one of the most modern countries uh, behind the Iron Curtain. And... Uh, uh, we are very, very, very concerned about the development of chronic diseases. Mm. And they said, we are looking at the scientific data very carefully at the Minister of Health and the Dean of the Medical School. And this university has 22,000 students and a fairly substantial medical school. They said, we are committed of trying to pioneer a new approach in how we treat the chronic diseases. Hmm. You know, chronic diseases are diseases that are hanging around, right? Yes, yes. Well, that means we don't have any good medical answer in our toolboxes. Hmm. Chronic diseases are diseases that are related to our lifestyle. Uh, it has to do with how we eat and sleep and so on and so forth, and how we handle stress, whether we smoke and drink and so forth. And they said, um, these diseases are not very easily handled by a quick fix. Mm -hmm. I mean, modern medicine can take care of acute issues very, very successfully. Mm -hmm. If you break your leg, hey, this is not the time to start eating broccoli, <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, they began to recognize that, yes, the modern medicine uh, accomplishment have been absolutely prodigious mm. and we have proton accelerators we can zap cancers we have surgical robots we can do all these kind of things but the chronic diseases they don't respond to these things mm. because the chronic disease like heart disease and diabetes and obesity they relate to how we eat how we live mm -hmm. and so they said we are very interested in you joining us in pioneering a new approach of how we treat these chronic diseases we want to implement, we want to develop a curriculum, uh, a teaching plan for our medical students that will focus on a whole food, plant-based diet. Medical school we're talking about here. Medical, medical school. school. Oh. We want to revolutionize the current approach to these chronic diseases because the current approach is not going to do very much because we can treat the symptoms, we can make people feel better, that's fine. But really, uh, we're recognizing in America, 84% of the medical costs are born by treating these diseases mm. without having any cures. My. Most diseases have no cures. I mean, when you have a heart, heart disease uh, and you do a bypass surgery, that's not a cure. Mm. That's just buying some time. Yeah. And remember, a large percentage of these uh, bypasses no longer work within six months. Mm. Right? Yeah. And the same thing is true for uh, the stenting that we do with heart disease. And we have no answer to diabetes. We can give people all the insulin they want for type 2 diabetes. It doesn't really cure the problem. If they forget to take the insulin, they're stuck. Yeah. Right? They're yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Hypertension. We don't have any cure for hypertension, for high blood pressure. We just control the blood pressure, but we haven't really cured anything. But we can cure these diseases by helping people to recognize that the cause is to be found within themselves. Mm. 
I mean, look at diabetes. We can turn on and we can turn off diabetes within weeks. Yes. I mean, I can take medical students, and depending on what I feed them, uh, and it doesn't have to be sugar either, yeah. I can create diabetes in two to three to four weeks in most of these medical students, even though they're not overweight. Mm -hmm. And similarly, I can take people that are diabetics for 10, 15 years, they're on insulin, 150 units, that's a lot, a lot oh, of yes. insulin, and yet uh, I have a 30, 40% likelihood chance that these people no longer be diabetics in need of insulin within 8, 9, 10 my, weeks. My. All they have to do is take care of the causes, how people eat, they have to lose weight, get into an excess program, these kind of things. And this is the message you want to take to the medical profession in Lithuania. That's exactly what they're wanting you to do. Yeah, wow. yeah, you see, I mean, this is exciting. Uh, <laughs> you have to understand, uh, uh, if you would bring this kind of an approach to an American medical school, yeah. you know, it would be very difficult to uh, accept because um, all the chair people uh, of the different departments, they've been teaching this for 20, 30, 40 years, yes. their concepts, and then all of a sudden you come and say, by the way, uh, that's no longer the best uh, approach to doing this. We have some new information now, and uh, uh, we want you to change. And, and here are the, the books you have to read and and, and rewrite all your uh, lecture yeah. notes and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. And you know what happens? You know, number one, these professional people, they have built their careers on teaching these kind of concepts to recognize all of a sudden there's a foundational shift taking place here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the earth is shaking. Right? Yeah. That's very, very difficult to do. And so when I talked to one of the uh, deans of a medical school uh, here in America, uh, the dean said, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, we need to have a new curriculum. We need to teach a whole food plant-based curriculum as part of the answer of uh, modifying the explosion of these uh, Western killer diseases. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And I said, well, how long would it take you to change the curriculum? Oh, he said about two years. Mm -hmm. I said, so you could rewrite and rearrange everything. To you said, yeah. And I said, and um, and uh, who would teach in these courses? Mm. Well, he looked at me. He said, that's that, that's a good question. That's a good he said, question. yes. And, and furthermore, he said, he said, Hans, do you realize I probably need to have twenty five million dollars to do this? I said, why do you need twenty five million dollars to just change the curriculum of what you teach a teaching plan? He said, no, we need to have a new faculty. Yes. Yes. It's very difficult to teach the department people that are authorities in their field all of a sudden to turn everything upside down. That's what we need to do. And that's why I think we have such a great chance in Lithuania. It's a new country. It has been around, you know, freed from the uh, Soviet masters mm -hmm. for some uh, 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And they're in this uh, adolescence of freedom. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. They find this first love of discovery and they're willing to do it. And maybe, maybe if we can have a successful program there, maybe they can lead and become the a template for medical schools here in America, too. Uh, they're very resistive here because it is very, very difficult to change. Yes. But I think the change has to come. We face a dilemma with the chronic diseases. Mm. And we have to, we know what we need to do, but it's difficult to really implement. But we need to find a way to do it. And maybe Lithuania, this new country with its new freedom there, with its new love in its adolescence of uh, exploring new things, maybe they can lead us. And they ask me if I perhaps wanted to be part of this uh, effort, and uh, we hope to bring them to uh, to Loma Linda University here mm -hmm. before too long to uh, take a look at the scientific center 
of uh, a healthy diet. I mean, that's what Loma Linda stands for. We are known as a university as the World Science Center to evaluate, uh, especially uh, the vegetarian diet and how to promote it in a proper scientific way. Well, this is exciting news indeed. Dr. Deal, thank you so much for coming and being with us today and sharing this. I am enthusiastic about the future from Lithuania. Lithuania leading the way. What a wonderful thought that is. Our time has flown by, Dr. Deal. Thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate your words of wisdom. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with my good friend, Dr. Hans Deal, inviting you to be healthy by choice. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about Healthy by Choice, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651. You can also email us through our website at 3abn.org.